0: I can Yes.
1: Yes. Thank you, Billy. Um, super nice to see you. It's been a few years since we last That's met. Um, I was thinking
2: the last time was, I think it, I was thinking about this. I think it was three years ago. And I think it was on the South Bank with Steve Davis and Kavis exactly. Um Yeah. And it was the David Bedford gig with Steve Hillage on guitar. Yes.
0: Guesting
2: at the end he sort of snuck in at the end didn't
1: he yeah yeah that was was a wonderful evening
2: you had a sort of balloon related performance that day i seem to remember
1: yeah there was there's there's a piece for for children that david bedford composed that they they just asked people who wanted to come to the to the evening performance to kind of like perform the piece in the afternoon and we did it was it was pretty pretty funny. It was very good. I'm a big fan of David Bedford's music and likewise. so
0: likewise. Yeah.
1: So it, it you know, he is one of the, the people that I really would have loved to meet in my life. But I I'm a very late bloomer when it comes to becoming aware that like when I feel a connection that I should also seek contact.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in his I told you that I had the pleasure of interviewing him about gosh it's probably about a year before he died so Mm -hmm. i don't know if that was like 15 years ago or something like that yes but i mean for me it was just incredible to be rifling through his 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 vinyl (laughs) and looking at these albums which to me are just blessed you know Mm
1: -hmm. and for
2: him he hadn't even looked at for 30 years you know he's like blowing the dust off them
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah how, how was he
2: was he was a real inspiration to speak with actually it was my so my friend neil saunders um he was sort of my connection to meeting a lot of canterbury related uh, musicians Mm -hmm. and yeah all through my university um days and i suppose yeah when i lived in london sort of 20 years ago um suddenly that happened um yeah he he was he was sort of stalking these various members of the scene and he's been very slowly writing a book um, about the scene, um, Mm -hmm. very, very slowly, but he's got, he's, he's got an absolute wealth of things. And so I was, I was just the driver, but I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come and meet David Bedford, you know? And yeah, I mean the wealth of projects that he's worked on and the number of things we covered was, was huge, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, And, you know, I, I suppose a few things stick in my head, like, I remember he said that, you know, because he did some of the arrangements for Madness. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and I remember he, he said, you know, I mean, ha- having already like read his statement about, oh, you know, when I played with Kevin Ayers I got very good at playing in E. <laughs> 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 you know, when he's like playing the piano with a brick and stuff and all of that. Um, mm. But yeah, then with Madness, he said he, he loved working with them because they didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And that was a wonderful thing, you know, like having studied at Royal College or whatever it was. Um, he he reveled in that, and yeah, like you know, such a such a visionary. And I think I think you know, to to him, that was a that was that was inspiring, you know.
1: Um, yeah, I think I think I know that it was one of his ideas to bring together like amateurs and like people who maybe even never had performed music in their lives with professionals. And there's this this, uh, piece, uh, 12 Hours of Sunset uh, of his, that is absolutely incredible. And apparently that is like a combination of amateurs and professionals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Billy, um, to me, and really, I I don't know that much about you, um, but, and so like every, everything I'm going to say now is, goes on Assumption and the vibe I'm getting, right? Okay. Or that, or that I used to get um, in the last like 10 years, maybe like ever since you started working with Lee, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, you seem to be like, tot- to me, totally a natural when it comes to music. That, at least that's what it appears nowadays or even like 10 years ago, right? So there's, there's like effortlessness. Like there's there's this this uh, organicness about how you when you play when you sing um, that I find absolutely fascinating um, and makes me a little bit jealous even <laughs> <laughs> um, because for me it's been so much hard work um, so but then you know I, I just just read some of your uh, bio on your website and and it's it, and. So I'd be interested to to learn just like in a more or less traditional way, like how things started for you as a child with music, and if music was in your life like from the early days, or if that was something that just appeared later.
2: I mean, I can't say that it hasn't, you know, there hasn't been a lot of hard work involved. Um, but but yeah, I mean, there's there's yeah, I mean, there is there is a kind of um, I don't know natural is a word that's bandied about but um I think I think what it was was that I always and I've and I've been I've been through the through the mill of like working out you know that music isn't just like it isn't just my identity it is you know it is kind of my you know it's how my soul is able to speak you know like with with the world um and yeah I suppose like in in many ways it was, it was an obsession from, I don't know, the age of six, maybe something like that. And yeah, I mean, what I've, what I've noticed over the years is that I've never been, um, I've never been regarded as like a piano player or a bass player or a guitarist or a singer. Um, Like some people think that I'm one of those things, but I other people, like other people in other scenes, know me as you know as a different kind of instrumentalist, and it, that's that's good because that's kind of how I think of myself as well—is kind of you know wearing different hats, or there aren't even hats, or it's one big hat, or it's a multifaceted hat. Um, and so, like one of my earliest musical memories, like from I suppose like the act of the act of actually creating music was a tiny little kind of broken xylophone. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: And it was, I suppose, yeah, there's there's something in my family. There's something in my family about sort of word play uh, mm-hmm. and sort of sing-song kind of way of speaking. And, like, it's always a very interesting area to look at because, you know, every family has its own... Idiolect, you know, um, and we never re- we never really get to know what that's like for, for each other. Um, but you know, I suppose I can only speak for my own family and say, like, it is it is very musical the way that we speak with each other. Like, I was encouraged traditionally, you know, to play um, instruments, and you know, my parents were very very uh, excited about you know having a child that was you know so into music. Um, but yeah, I suppose, you know, from there I went through the standard, uh, you know, sort of onto recorder and couldn't quite get my finger onto the bottom note and <laughs> felt a bit frustrated with that and ended up, um, you know, having piano lessons. And uh, that, you know, that was like when I was, I suppose, when I was seven, I had piano lessons and, you know, my, my, the, the sort of guitar realms opened up. When like first my dad appeared with this guitar that was like a cheese grater, it was like an old Epiphone, and like the strings hadn't been changed for years, and it was dreadfully painful to actually like get my fingers down. Um, and then my mum said, "Oh, you know, I've got this this other guitar, and I can only play London's Burning." And um, you know, it's a nylon string and obviously a wider neck classical, you know. But I that's when I was like, "Oh, you know, I can actually." get something out of this and, and not, you know, not be in pain. Um, and I think what I really reveled in was the fact that I was given the formal piano training, but with guitar, it was completely like left to me Mm -hmm. to do what I wanted to do. So that was like, that was where I was able to really express myself at first anyway. Um, and so, you know, like when I was 10 or something, my father took me to, um, the folk club and I was brought up up north uh north of England northeast mm-hmm. um and there's a strong folk tradition there um and so that was that was a wonderful world to enter into because every single week I'd be going there and you know playing a song that I'd just written or you know wow. playing something that I loved because when I was 10 I was obsessed with Valdunican <laughs> 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 and um and yeah, and, and I suppose that kind of that kind of opened me up to the kind of folk realm. But I always loved the fact that I played the piano as well, because then I, I suppose once I was playing both of those instruments, I was kind of playing them off each other in a way, you know, so mm-hmm. trying to play things on guitar that I could play on the piano and vice versa. And, and also like the main observation sort of, I suppose, you know, like up here was that... Um, you know, in classical piano, at least in the 80s, you weren't taught harmony. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so it was like that was the thing that I had to really kind of work at and and bring to to the piano. Um,
1: so, you know, so that came that came okay. So that came later when you were playing chords on the guitar and you had some idea that there were labels for exactly. combinations of notes, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah.
2: I I had one of these like um, I'm sure everyone knows this book. Who's played music really is the Beatles Complete, which is uh, like there's various versions, and I had the piano and voice version Mm -hmm. of that. And you know, I suppose I was had my typical Beatles like obsession when I was ten. And my dad, you know, played me loads of stuff, and 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 also like half the book I'd never heard, but I didn't stop me trying to play it. You know, and that was a real education. Um, mm-hmm. So from there, it was like busking on the streets with my very good friend Dugald Hine, who I still um, have a lot of contact with, and I've just been just been working for him today actually uh, with his his school, um, mm-hmm. so hosting, a, hosting a Zoom uh, session for that. Um, and yeah, so we we he was a prefect, and I was eleven. I just arrived at secondary school, and uh, he um, he was like a sort of I don't know, he's like a sort of not just a musical kind of influence on me, but uh, ideas and everything as well. And he handed me this mandolin, and he said, "No, I'm playing the guitar. There's the mandolin, you know." And then that became our sort of duo persona, I suppose, like on the streets of Darlington, and that kind of escalated into into lo- loads of gigs, you know, as a as a duo. And,
1: That's wonderful. So for you, like even like the tuning of instruments, is something that just you don't you don't really think about much, right? You just pick it up and you try i mean that was uh, you know i know that was a that was a long time ago that you you know uh, yeah. but but just being presented with something like a mandolin when you've played guitar before it's it's just really different right in a way and then in, in other ways the same
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i suppose i would say that i've never i've never worked at the guitar in the same way that i've worked at the piano and um, which is not to say i haven't spent like loads and loads of time with it but I suppose because I was always coming from the point of view of accompanying um -hmm. it was you know I was I was always a rhythm player and I mean that's still with me even even on piano it's like it's it's harmonies and chords that fascinate me um and you know contrapuntal systems and anything else that kind of builds from that from those Mm -hmm. from that that avenue do you know what I mean um so, so like down the folk club, I was never really learning melodies, you know, when people sat, sit around and they have sessions, you know, and they're playing reels and that kind of thing. I was always, even if I had a mandolin in my hand, I'd be on the chords. I wouldn't really be on the melody. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's because I, I love, I've always loved singing so much. So that's, so my voice has taken on that role, you know?
1: Yeah, that's, that would, would have been my next question. So like, as a person who basically plays all the instruments in the traditional band. I don't know if you even play drums, maybe you do. Uh, <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> but, but there, you know, I'm just wondering, like, if you're writing uh, music, um, is the voice, the melody, is that, like, tied to the voice mostly in your in your musical imagination? Or do melodies come also via, um, say, harmony, on the piano, for example, or you know, is there? I mean, I'm just interested in that because for me, that my my own voice was never um, a space where musical imagination lived.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, mm. I suppose because like I suppose yeah, from the age of like nine, I was also so like simultaneously with the the kind of folk folk music and the um. And then the sort of classical, I suppose, on the piano. Um, I was fiddling around with, um, you know, tape machines, like reel-to-reel, reel-to-reel tape machines. And, uh, you know, eventually when I was like 13, I had a had a sampler, like an old Akai mm-hmm. sampler. And, um, you know, uh, I had a four-track uh, cassette machine as well, which mm-hmm. was, and these things were an absolute joy to me. And I suppose, I suppose, in, like with with all of that kind of um, with that particular I don't know sub sub world, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I was I was working in texture and I wasn't really working in voice or I was being like much more experimental with voice. You know, I was mm-hmm. you know doing I mean everything that you might normally do with a real reel, like playing stuff backwards and slowing things down and mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing um, and so i think if i was to like talk about like sort of compositional imagination i think is that the phrase you use why why not why not (laughs) not? (laughs) um i think i'd say that it's actually like a push and pull in a way um and there's some there's something very useful about like having a voice to hand you know if i'm if I'm, you know, examining some particular chords or some particular yeah. relationships, then it's sort of second nature to me to try and try and sing something on top. But there's no reason why that would be a vocal line, you know. And and so yeah, I suppose I suppose you're you're onto something in that. You know, if I if I had a violin part in mind, then I'd be I'd be writing that with my voice essentially. Mm-hmm except except that you know like the, the the more that you go down that road the the less you need to actually sing you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and i always say that you know once i went to university and i was studying music i spent a lot more time like thinking about music and yeah. and you know like um a- audiating it you know yeah. um, like rather than actually playing it um so like in a in a sense, there was there was a good kind of like first half of my twenties where it's sort of like I spent my teens and I, like well before my teens, but like up to when I was twenty, playing a lot. Mm-hmm. And then like once I reached university, it was kind of a lot more about um, architecture and and um, you know like I had this band with. Um, with Martin, Martin Walter, um, and uh, Martin Hoy, who I met at the university, and a few other players, and w- and we went from you know like the folk thing for me in my teens, it turned into playing in an indie band, and we would we were doing you know the the classic sort of four-piece, two guitar rock thing, you know. for... Mm-hmm for three or four years too many gigs a week you know wasn't getting my schoolwork done and all the rest of it and but then when I got to university it was like okay I'm not so into the gigs like I want to I want to break some ground here you know because part of the reason that I went to university and left that band was because you know I was into Stravinsky I had a little picture of Stravinsky on my guitar you know and the rest of the band are like what do you do like <laughs>
1: it's wonderful so 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 at that point you were very much into um for lack of a better word into composition into um uh, you said contrapuntal thinking is something that was like very important to you, even at a younger age when you were playing and and so um going to your university um just like looking back was, I well i guess it must have been an important time um like using more of, like you say, audiation and stuff to kind of like get a sense. And, you know, like, I don't know what it's like for you, for me, for you, but for me, it was always, music is always like a combination of things that I know and things that I don't know. So I'm always looking, I'm always asking myself the question, what if, and sometimes I have a solution for what that may sound like in my head. I have an imagination for what that could be like. But most of the time I don't. And really those are the, the moments where I get excited to explore. Yes,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, as soon as you kind of go, oh, I know how to get that sound, here I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah, But it turns into, like, you may as well be a show band writer or something, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it's, it yeah, it's, it's, it's too kind of rule-based in a way. Um, no, mm-hmm. I mean, some of... In, especially at university, like some of the things that really—I um, mean, you know—this is going to sound totally conceited, but I'm going to say what somebody said to me, which is, being in that band at university, that was more of an education to them than being at university. Like, to be fair, it wasn't a great university, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, you know, like, I suppose we—we we, between us, we developed this kind of like freedom and. Uh, Kind of just craving, really, like first for trying out new things. And like one of the things that really sticks in my head is um, the time when this guy was in the computer suite and he was um, trying to print out some formal music, you know. And I'm you know, when I say formal, I just mean like you know, mm-hmm. a, a guitar part written on the stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a problem with the printer, and I heard this like terrible noise and I looked around and I looked down at the printer and I was like, wow, that's magnificent. And it had made something completely not what he, what he wanted, you know? <laughs> and he was like, oh God. And he put it in the bin. I went straight to the bin because I thought this is amazing. And um, I still got it somewhere. <laughs> it looked like, it looked like a mountain um, of like, this. and you, this is like, you know, I don't know if it was a dot matrix printer, but it was like very pixelated and yeah it had it had a sort of fuzzy kind of detail to it Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and it was a a sequence of mountains and I was like I've got to do something with this you know (laughs) and then that's that night I spent like the entire and I stayed up all night and I split the thing into like a 23 note matrix and first of all a melody came from that and it was like you know just given to me by what was there um there were a few um uh I suppose lengths of notes like suggested by like you know the distance between things it was but it was it was mainly in um quavers. Mm-hmm. and and then you know it was the process of like finding chords that worked underneath that um and so in a way that's that also answers your question about like voice leading or whatever because In a a sense, that's the opposite. It's kind of like, it's not that the chords have been dictated to me and I'm, I'm like, playing with the melody. It's actually the other way around.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, But dictated in a very, you know, non-traditional sort of way, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, yeah, that was the beginning of, like, realising that, yes, I was, like, brought up in a particular tradition or whatever, but I also have the choice to, like, take me out of the... Out of the picture, like this doesn't have to be anything to do with me I'm just like I'm just an observer or I'm just like setting a setting a process in motion you know
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow i mean it's 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 incredible like you know I had no idea uh, you 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 are really so I have to add to my assumptions about you now that <laughs> <laughs> that you also like a very well-rounded in the sense of like your knowledge. It's, it's, and, and like the opportunities you seem to have had, like as a child to perform, as a teen to perform, to uh, perform when you were at uni mm-hmm. and like in each each phase of your early age um, to, to, to get, have a chance to focus well, or to even to be in a way to be forced to focus on a particular thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, there's like these these different, and everything kind of like comes together and forms this uh, this this artist, this artistic persona. With uh, um, you know, like for me, it's 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 exactly kind of what I uh, would have wished for me all along. Like when I when I was young, I wanted to be a A musician, in the sense of like somebody who creates musical worlds. So it was never about being a performer. That actually came very late for me, Ah, you know?
2: ah, Okay.
1: So quite the opposite from from it went for you.
2: Sort of from the conceptual side first.
1: Yeah. 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 Because I, you know, like um, I uh, grew up in Western Germany and like in Germany you have like several like local radio uh, stations and the radio station. That was that that I was listening to was based in Cologne, where there was the studio for electronic music with Stockhausen and stuff. So, so yeah, I, you know, I grew up in the 70s. So I like on the radio, like sometimes I guess it was like at eight at night. It wasn't during the day, but there was like this mm-hmm. contemporary uh, electronic music from like German from German composers on the radio, and I I I had heard that kind of stuff when I was like I don't know four or five years old. So it was like part of my um, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't part of my genetic genetics, I would say, but it was definitely part of my, uh, the environment I grew up in, even though my, my, uh, my uh, parents weren't musical in the traditional sense. Um, but, you know, this kind of music, um, and, you know, like there were, um, I don't know if you know about this, but there were, like, uh, what was it called? Like, even in the late 60s, there was, like, the Beat Club in, in Frankfurt and, like, there was a TV show. And and so this tradition of actually showing live music on TV was something that uh, really was a big part of me growing up. Yeah. So, um, But what fascinated me about that was more of, like, the compositional background. So when I got my first keyboard instrument, which was when I was 10 years old, I was just trying to figure out the chord sequences to songs. And and then I had already understood that, you know, that there are things, that there are keys, and like when, you know, keys, a song can be in. And so whenever like there was a chord that was outside of the key, I was fascinated, you know, like, why can you use yeah. that? And how does it work? And, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, you know, the performance aspect for me just really uh, only came into my life in my late twenties, really okay okay
2: yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, so when you were uh, composing were you recording
1: yeah well you know i also had a band like but it was very short-lived it was maybe just a year or a year and a half and i had written like three three pieces there which were um like one of those pieces i still play now with the, the band with pat and tony with stickman so it's like one of my earliest compositions but no, like, one of the first things I did was uh, I was in a, uh, in a guitar orchestra, actually. And um, the first piece that I re- had written was for guitar orchestra. It had actually three movements and was really complicated. Like one, one, I, one I can't remember everything, but one was like a, a cannon uh, with like eight voices or something super crazy. <laughs> so but that you know so my beginnings were like before i could even really play i was writing music and i was using uh back then it was like an atari with uh uh what was notator was the name of the software Uh, yeah (laughs) Yeah. and that was before i could play
2: right okay okay yeah wow so in a way i suppose that's I suppose, yeah, I mean, I would, I would sort of compare that to when I was, when I was playing around with reel to reels, you know, um, yeah. because I, I suppose I didn't really, I didn't really know how. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's exactly the same, isn't it? When you're a child, you're like trying to work out how do things work, like how you know that are presented to you. Um, you know what that already exists can i try and get my head around um and that's i suppose yeah that's kind of like the first the first stage isn't it and and what i love about that that's that time in a way was was you know this was that feeling of no boundaries whatsoever you know everything was an experiment and you know like i remember when i was eight, 17 18 at uh, sixth form college, being told by my A-level teacher, you need to learn the rules before you break them. And I, I was like, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. I want to be completely clueless. I don't want to know <laughs> the rules. Are. Yeah. Yeah. And begrudgingly, you know, I did, you know, um, harmony, you know, like, like uh, chem- harmony and counterpoint, you know, sort of classical method and all of that stuff. Um, and I can't say it did nothing for me. But um, you know, it's I suppose yeah, it's the same as that that Charlie Parker kind of learn the rules that you know, learn the scales and then forget them kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I suppose the more you practice and the more you you do stuff, the more you can get to the same place through either either mm-hmm. means, you know, or both mm-hmm. or both means, like a little bit of both. Yeah. And, I-
1: yeah, I think there's there's like a third thing also which for me is like the completely gestural physical way of playing where it's where it's uh where there's no concern about about pitch or rhythm in a traditional sense where it's just about how does my body move how does how do I physically respond to the to other people that I play with and you know I I try always even nowadays I always try to bring like all three approaches together, like composition, improvisation as like play the right thing in the right moment, right? But then also improvisation as a gesture.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's to me, that's a very important thing, is that when I when I when I play, and especially when I'm in a in a situation where I'm a soloist, I do I feel I feel like an actor like I feel like it's it feel like it's coincidental that I happen to have a an instrument in my hand you know Mm -hmm. and and certainly like places that I've been like musically with with the Westbrooks um, Mike Mm -hmm. and Kate Westbrook um, I mean that has lent itself to that feeling because you know their music is not just very painterly but it's also very theatrical and, and dramatic. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, and those moments, I mean I've had I've also I've also realized that I've tuned into that a lot when I've when I've taught music. Um, I think especially piano probably because I you know myself had piano lessons. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like I f- I feel like actually that job is about teaching um gesture and it's also about teaching um a kind of clarity of mind um, mm-hmm. and and it's just like a coincidence that there happens to be a piano down here you know like when the piano dissolves then we then we're getting somewhere you know
1: let, let me ask you a difficult question so <laughs> how, how how do you how do you teach the clarity of mind
2: yeah i mean i mean i suppose that is about the relationship and that is about you know helping helping the student through the process of making um well first of all of the concept of there being like a right and a wrong Um, Mm -hmm. and then like standing on the line like on the edge of that and going well is it (laughs) And and you know, I mean, when I say clarity of mind, that's as much about just, I mean, for a for a you know, when I've had the pleasure of teaching someone who's the same age as when I started, it's it's um, you know, offering them a kind of openness which allows them to um, to get on in such a way as as it's not even about me allowing them to do anything, you know. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and, and all of these things, um, I feel the more experience that I've had, the less, the less it's possible for me to kind of sum up, really. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, about, it's about the games that you play, like not the manipulative games, but the, the fun games that you can play with other, other humans, you know, in sharing time together whilst mm-hmm. they're sort of coincidentally being an instrument.
1: Mm-hmm. So there you go. <laughs> oh, one, one, wonderfully said. You know, I, yeah, yeah, and there, as you said, there just happens to be a piano down there, but it's mm. it's about the relationships, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's certainly like the relationship with oneself. Mm-hmm. I find, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah, because obviously, you as a as a teacher wants to dissolve as well you know like when a when a student's telling you how upset they are like with a (laughs) with a note like it's not the note that's the problem (laughs)
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah there's there's all of that stuff to work through and I and I do enjoy that that process Um, and it's interesting that I use the word do because I haven't taught for I don't know I haven't formally taught for quite a few years now um, I got quite into working with people with learning disabilities. That became more more interesting to me in a way than um, than one to one, you know, teaching kids to do the, how to do their scales or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rudiments and that kind of thing, because it allowed a lot more space for expression and and also like you know talking about not knowing the rules. I mean. You know, if you're working with people who, you know, uh, are are further away from the rules of, like, how to behave, for example, you know, like people with behavioural issues, as we might say, um, it means that, like, you want to talk about gesture. I mean, wow, like, I ended up having to go to a place um, where I had to forget about all the things that I wanted to teach. Um, because the shape of these sessions, like I, I used to run this group for, um, it's, it's probably like a maximum of 10 um, artists, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I suppose they're like everything in range from 16 to 60 probably. And uh, that was over the course of four or five years. So, the, the, you know, the group changed a lot within that time and um it was it was an incredible place to be like for all of us the discovery was amazing i mean you get given an entire day to do whatever you want to do and like that was um, for me that was like that was the that was teaching you know at least 2.0 maybe 3.0 yes yes <laughs> Is that I, I sort of spent the first year kind of religiously coming in like doing my session plan and what I was going to do and everything and then just being like oh no it's not happening like I can't keep control of people these instruments are too loud Whatever. and like something clicked in the second year it was like we need to dance together we need to play together we need to move together we need to not care about keys or whatever like we need to be you know, we need to be using tech in an interesting way, you know, like um, sampling and, mm-hmm. like, y- using people's uh, ideas as musical ideas. And I suppose I mean that in, like, a John Cage sort of a sense. Yes. Right? It's somebody's um, – like, somebody has a fixation with a with a pink – um tambourine so that's going to become a player within this piece of music that we play you know mm-hmm. and it feels like there's a nice circularity there actually because what you're saying about the David Bedford music mm-hmm. um and I and I find this is a lot the case with Mike Westbrook as well is that the the musical um platform like the 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 place that is being offered is music as a, as a, a real like social um, uh, community building. Um, uh, what's the word? I can't even get there. Um, I feel like you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, know, I, know, I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. yes. And you know, it's, it's funny because I have um, sometimes used the kind of like you know, can, can be misunderstood, but I have used the words real music. And I think (laughs) that I mean something like that, that real music is just, it's absolutely independent of who the people are or who the animals are. It's, it's something that, that is just, uh, yeah like a celebration or it it allows a celebration of life somehow like yeah.
2: I mean that's the thing that totally blows my mind when I hear albums like you know well, either of the Hatfield and the North albums um for example, because i I remember like you know for i suppose i suppose I discovered them when I was like sixteen and it was another kind of three years till I saw any of those musicians um I suppose mainly Richard Sinclair um, mm-hmm. playing caravan of course um, and I think the thing that really struck me was that that music is so it's so well conceived it's like I could never even imagine that that humans were playing it like because because the the it, it's funny because i i came to jazz in kind of like a sort of a roundabout sort of a way like a different kind of route um and it was made it was mainly through soft machine to be honest you know like any of the any of the like old-time like e- even the temperance seven like you know like 1920s 1930s style music um I never would have heard or listened to it or been interested in any of that music that hadn't been for soft machine. Mm-hmm. Um and that was such a kind of like just a surprise really, because you know, I got into into soft machine from a particular friend who was, you know, into like Stereolab and um Henry Cow mm-hmm. and uh but but like I suppose he played me a lot of kind of what's more kind of noise, noise sort of rock, you know, like suicide and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a real kind of ear opener. And as, yeah, I suppose that the point really was just that the music was so, so, so effortless, you know, and, and also the interactions and, and that's the thing, when I heard Hatfield, I didn't even, I was so used to understanding music as something that you decided and you plotted. But when I heard that Hatfield album, and also like the first Henry Cow album, I I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that that was actually you know response. Like a lot of what happens on those records is all about response, mm-hmm. and the response is telepathic.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: Yeah, it's some somehow in in recent years, while well, I haven't been so, so connected to um, many musical scenes, um, but it feels to me that with the, with the rise of the internet and educational videos on YouTube, uh, that sort of like this, this absolute magic and these, these mad skills, let's say, that people had in the 70s and musicians because, but I think it must also have been like that particular phase in history where where this kind of exploration, this combination of, like you say, like the cage, you know, the the cage direction of, um, let's let's just call it freedom, okay, with the rock instruments and the background i don't know like the working class background of uh i don't know don't know so much about that in the with the uh, uh british bands but in in uh, like in germany like everything that's being called crowd rock now like most of those people were actually like from a working class background and that's sort of uh, that and like so which 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 equals uneducated right and so that's why we were getting like a certain kind of expression like uneducated, like uh, say, um, um, in terms of in terms of what you could learn at school, but then also uneducated in terms of like those people maybe never really had heard jazz, or you know just just a very small slice of what was around, and that's why there is like this this really particular uh, vibe to that music. It's um, and 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 so so how how was this like because like. Um, I I actually never asked myself that question, so with Hatfield, for example, um, and you say most of that was response, right? Um, Well, in how far did they know what they were doing, if this question makes any sense even?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I suppose there's two things that come to mind. I mean, when when I talk about response, like... Definitely, none of Hatfield's original music was was only response. Like, there's a lot of architecture there, a hell of a lot. Yeah. I, me- I remember at university sitting and trying to play along with that first album and getting <laughs> very, very upset because mm. <laughs> I just I didn't I didn't know like those chord species and obviously like the time signatures and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose what I've what I've kind of you know later come to realize is that most of that kind of um neoclassical um side in their music is from dave stewart um and that i suppose like on the other extreme you've got richard sinclair um who is like very much more a a kind of a freedom sort of guy Mm -hmm. um and and phil like phil was somewhere in the middle of that really um because, I mean, he's written some very incredibly complex music, but it also, um, you know, especially his later project um, In Cahoots, um, that's much more uh, kind, of, kind of jazz in the sense of um, the architecture of it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know you, usually each tune is, is a tune. It's like a tune and solos and a tune. He definitely strays like from that, but it's, I suppose I just say it's, it's closer to that than, mm-hmm. than Hatfield mm-hmm. was. Um, I mean, like in the, I think Henry Cow is another, <clears throat> I think I probably I'm trying to think. Yeah, I would, I would have probably heard Henry Cow before Hatfield and yeah, like <clears throat> that first album, um, Leg Legend or Legend,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, that is extraordinarily, um, well delivered um and the interplay is it's not it's not do you know i didn't really understand that particular way of organizing music and musicians until i worked with mike mm-hmm. and the like cultivation of a shared sort of freedom there which is very very different um and so, yeah. I mean, obviously, there were some. You know, it's it's always it's always I've always kind of like oh, it's felt like a delicacy to like see some of those Henry Cow schools, particularly. Um, but there's also some insane amounts of of just in the moment, kind of kind of playing, you know, and and uh, mm-hmm. and, and conversing, you know, musical conversing. Um, I feel like I've
1: slightly lost the thread of what you... No, 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 it's, it's, it's all good, you know, just... Uh, so... So you have such deep love for music... Uh, like, like your, your path as an artist, right? So, because like what we were just talking about, this is also you as a fan, right? So, and as a fan of music, as, and as a fan of a particular band or a specific composer or a particular school of music, let's say, right? Um, so how would you describe, how was your path once, once you kind of became aware that maybe you are, you're an artist yourself and you have a musical vision yourself that is maybe inspired by or influenced by, but separate from, you know, you know, from what you were gonna do or what you were already doing.
2: I see, I see. Um, yeah, I, I think it was probably quite important for me to get to a point where I had autonomy. And mm-hmm. And, like, that's easier said than done, <laughs> as, as, a, as a human, or at least as a, as, a, as a me, I don't know. But, you know, because I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in fact, my dad always says this. He says, because um, my, my father, um, he, for most of his working life, he was um, trained as a geolog- geologist and he worked uh, on the roads, testing samples, et cetera. Um, and, um, yeah, he's, he always said to me, like, oh, I'm not a number one, I'm a number two, um, like, in terms of how I can work with someone, how I can support somebody. It's actually, he, you know, he'd say it's better for me not to be in charge. That's not my natural place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's actually better if I'm, like, in sort of, you know, second, second in command or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I'm bringing that in because... I've, I feel like it pertains to like how I've been in certain relationships with other musicians um, and like make no mistake. I have always been very precocious in music. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. Like it was all it was always it wasn't just look at me, it was kind of like I've got a particular thing that I want to project a persona a name for myself like you know this is this is my this is one of my many paths and I'm like committed I'm doing this path you know and um so I suppose you know like going back to when I worked with Dougal's like in my pre-teens and teens um Heim, um yeah that was the kind of situation where yeah we wrote songs together um but it was a shared, it was a shared sort of vision. Or I you know, I had a song, he had a song. It was that, you know, like I suppose like kind of Lennon McCartney sort of sort of <laughs> uh, pairing. That's how we come to think uh, we come to describe it, isn't it? Um and then also like in the indie band Ethan that I was in, um, there were two lead singers, you know, everyone else in the band was older than me. Um it, I sort of gradually became kind of, I, f- I felt anyway at the time, more and more my responsibility to be writing um, catchy pop songs, you know. And as I said earlier, like that didn't really, eventually that didn't really tally with like being into Stravinsky and, you know, listening to somebody called Kevin Ayres that no one had ever heard of. Um, and, and you know, I suppose being interested in music that wasn't about um I mean, Kevin's a really, really good kind of example of somebody who kind of played the game, but then he hated the game and he kept escaping and disappearing and then he'd come back and make a record and we'd go, wow. You know, um, and so like, I suppose, yeah, so Quadesh, the prog band um, when I was 18, which was, I suppose that was like three, four years um, of work and we did... We did hardly any gigs, which was wonderful, um, but we did a lot of playing, and we did uh, yeah. So there were two recordings we made. Um Anyway, I don't need to go into into, the, into the of that particular band. The point with that is that that was that was a shared vision, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose essentially that was mainly Martin Hoy and I, and we sort of a, adopted that same thing of like you got your tunes, I've got mine, you know, oh. and like. I I always feel that I work well in situations where I have to like fight a bit for my vision or like for mm-hmm. some attention or like um what's the word? It's good it's good to have a bit of a struggle, I think. Um mm-hmm. and so I I, I suppose like to, to answer your question, like it wasn't really until I made, you know, my my first well my only (laughs) released solo album so far um in 2010 (laughs) message from um that i was kind of doing my thing i was doing my vision you know and like in many ways i remember at the time thinking oh well i'm actually doing something that that you know i'm i'm aware that it has elements of what i love in it um but I also am quite interested in going back to uh, you know the song um, mm. because you know we made some very very complicated music you know in my in my twenties and then yeah I suppose towards the end of my twenties it was kind of I wanted to I wanted to like return it was like there was something about you know like each side of that album is um, has got a different title and the first one is at home and the second one at sea.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and there was a lot there i suppose about like leaving the north and uh you know coming to live in uh in london and then kind of feeling at sea in london and you know mm-hmm. eventually like uh kind of kind of returning to my parents home but they'd moved to um to devon which is mm-hmm. um the county that i'm in there mm-hmm. and um and yeah, so in terms of like a vision, it's it's almost like I felt like I needed to get to a, a stage where I was um, I was free, like in a sort of um, in myself, you know, like confidence in what I could do on my own, and like if you've been used to fighting for it, that's quite a that's quite a different. Um, a different sort of uh dynamic really mm-hmm. and i suppose that's where Martine comes in because you know we we basically lost touch and then we re-met um mm-hmm. in 2000 and hmm, what was it 2009 maybe mm-hmm. um, so having like gone to university together and then like lost touch we re-met and then we sort of you know like i i basically i wouldn't have kind of started really like getting on with my my solo stuff if it wasn't for her and also um dave sinclair from caravan um who like neil saunders who i mentioned earlier he went to japan and did a bit of um, a bit of live work with dave like what what ended up being like a couple of years before i you know did similarly and um so like Neil, Neil was basically on at me. Like, he, well, he wasn't even on at me. He was just saying, "Oh, you know, like Billy's recording an album," and you know, <laughs> so then he started sending things to Dave, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then you know, Dave was interested. So in a way, it was it was kind of like it was sort of pulled a little bit out of me at that point because I think I think probably by that stage in my life, I was kind of a little bit a little bit lost you know like I'd, I'd spent three years touring with um, Gifford Circus and you know that was incredible from like an experiential performance um, point of view but I realised like by the end of the third year that I was with them that I was originally with them I did end up going back It's part of the interesting circularity of life but um, yeah in 2006 I realised that I wasn't I wasn't actually doing anything with with a whole load of stuff that I'd written and um and yeah I I do feel like I've spent quite a lot of I, I did spend quite a lot of my 20s kind of like with this kind of sense of like I've I've got something to give but I'm not ready yet you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah I feel I feel like that has been firmly addressed in my um my third decade—is that right? Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wonderful and well, wonderful, but fascinating to hear like how the our our um, psychological condition uh, kind of plays into how how we can express ourselves as as artists and where you know, for me, I I was sort of like, as I said, like more conceptual. So like some, there was something that I had sort of realized early on. I mean, I was maybe 20, 25, 20, 26 when I put out my first solo record. And what I mean by solo, it actually was a solo record, but it had my name on it. It was only my name on the record. And so that was, so if people, if you would ask me, Marcus, when did your career start? It was that moment where yeah. I put my name on the, on the product. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you know, like the, the, funny thing is I wasn't even like particularly uh, sure or confident of about what I was doing, but for me, it was this moment. Okay. So here, this is the starting point. And actually like my first album is called Taster because it was meant as a taster for what's supposed to come. So like, you know, and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I I hear you. So, but it's it's wonderful that you that you have managed to, uh, at, as you said, at least put out that one album album as a solo album. But uh, so to me, like your 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 personality and your artistry, like uh, the the way that you kind of like glow as a person, and like you you to me, you've always, you could be a superstar, right? For me, like that was <laughs> like, uh, somehow that was no question. It was, it was super interesting. Um, but then, then we also know, and I also knew that's not the reality of it, right? So you, you get to, and this is like also what what, what people who are not part of, uh, let's just, just call it business here for a moment, like in the entertainment business, uh, don't realize that a lot of what you can see kind of like see or hear is not really what is happening underneath the surface. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean how many session musicians do the general public know the name of?
1: <laughs> very
0: few. Very, very few. <laughs> you know,
2: and how many get heard? I mean
0: mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. it's,
2: it's very interesting how that how that works um and i i suppose like i was left with some residue from having like chased that um that whole let's get a record deal thing in my teens um, i was left mm-hmm. with a bit of residue from that mm-hmm. But i definitely feel that by the time like i got onto making unrecorded beams that it was i was more kind of just like doing what i wanted to do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is that's that's the that's the dream, isn't it, to be able to do what you want to do. Um, yeah. And I suppose I suppose essentially, like, despite the fact that Message from is a solo album, I was also determined to get as many people on there as possible. Like, it's got loads of guests. I mean, Dave Sinclair's on the album, um, mm-hmm. Jimmy Hastings from Caravan, but also you know, all sorts of friends from from down the ages. Um, yeah, it's quite a. It's quite a big list. And, um, yeah, there's there's definitely a theme, you know, there that continues, um, like, you know, right into the other place. Um, you know, the last, most recent album, which only released last month. Um, and I suppose in a way, like, that became, especially through working with the Westbrooks, like, that became a real, um, like, obsession feels like, totally the wrong word it's kind of more like like a raison d'etre is is that like who am I to say my voice is, is more important than anyone else's um but but more than that it's celebrating other people's voices and you know if I'm in a position where I can like bring some <clears throat> some some energy to 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 um other people you know some some focus to other people um then then it kind of ticks my boxes and I feel I feel like um like it's probably in the last 10 minutes or something we kind of tapped into um kind of sort of I suppose what became like a bit of a preoccupation probably um like from when I because basically the ba- the band the multiple we started um in 2001 I think um and that's because um I did a, a dissertation on the Canterbury scene mm-hmm. for university um and I had to get a band together to do a recital to go with my dissertation um and uh that, that was kind of a thread which continued, um, although there probably were like a few years where there wasn't a band with that name in any in any, in any um, shape or form. But the idea was always that it was like, you know, quite a rotating and shifting lineup. Um, and so like when Martine and I arrived in Devon um, in 2010, like having just, um, I'd just been to Japan um, the following year we both, Went to japan and um with dave dave Sinclair again
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um and like i suppose what we were trying to do there was like at first we were seeing we were setting up a band in devon and we were also setting up a band in london and we were saying okay so the band is going to decide where we live and where we live is going to decide which band gets the time spent on it okay. coming, which was a, a ridiculous undertaking but it was kind of like we're not we don't feel we're able to commit to you know this version or that version or this place or that place let's just see what happens and sure enough like Devon kind of like sucked us in um but anyway like from that point what I realized was that I needed to do a lot of work myself on um like the the psycho my my psychology of how to lead and what it meant to lead like what it means to lead a band mm-hmm. um and i feel like i did so much exploration in that regard like from from yeah from i suppose for 10 10 years you know starting from that point really um and it was just it was just really you know like when we when we got to 2000, um, I suppose it was 2016, 17, which is when we, we toured the um, material, which became the other place. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, Like, I suppose very much at the forefront of my mind was like, how, how do we, how is it possible to lead a band without, without being a dictator essentially? Mm -hmm. And like, you know say, saying something like that makes it sound like I've you know got that as a tendency or whatever and maybe I have but but also like it's a little bit like when I started teaching piano the only type of piano tuition that I knew was a very rigid like you do this you do that kind of thing so what that meant was that when I was teaching piano I had to like go through that whole process of well i i can only teach the way i know so then i start that way whilst at the same time like feeling like this isn't me like this isn't mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't who i am you know and definitely i found that was the same thing with band leading it was like my natural style was to actually be very like bossy with it um, mm-hmm. and get things how i want um and then like especially through working with mike westbrook and kate westbrook um i realized that it's not it's not about that like if you if you want to if you want to um if you want want to run like an orchestra in 1950 maybe that's the way to do it <laughs> mm-hmm. but like mike offers a whole other kind of way of honoring your musicians you know and I think that's that's kind of, that's what really opened me up towards being able to make this album. And in turn, like, not just honour the musicians involved, but also honour the people that um, Martine and I met on our pilgrimage to Westminster from Devon.
1: Remember when you, when you said that when you teach... Uh, the clarity of mind, or something like we talked about that before. That it's sort of like it's about it's the relationship. right? It's the relationship that is um, uh, generating that something, right? The magic, maybe, or and in I guess in leading a band, um, it's it's a little bit like that, right? Like you you need to you need to find you need to navigate that fine line of of how to how to be the person that has, say, the authority of some sort, mm-hmm. right? But then you don't, you don't have to actually act any particular way yeah. for people to respect you uh, yeah. in that position. You know, I had this experience with Thomas Blomster, who's a yeah. um, conductor, um, music director from uh, Colorado, because he... Oh, was, you this, know.
2: was this on Top Morden?
1: Yes, yes. He was yeah. unbelievable. Like it was 55 people, right? And it was the very first time I experienced mm-hmm. something like that. And really how he was navigating the, the social level of, of guiding the orchestra was, was unbelievable. Like I, you know, and I, I said to him, and I would say that again, that what he did there was like the biggest piece, most amazing piece of magic that I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, like it, it, at the beginning, it seemed like nobody no one of the musicians really wanted to play the piece at all. <laughs> and it took him, took him three days and they played a beautiful rendition of it. It was wow. incredible. Wow. Yeah. And it, it's that level of musicking, right? it's called musicking, that to me is, is really where, for me, the magic lies at the moment. So it's not so much about, anymore more about, composition or choosing the right note or whatever it's it's that bigger context that that brings things to life
2: I suppose like in particular with the other place I was also like connecting that to I suppose it's, it's almost like the, the problem of democracy I mean
0: mm-hmm.
2: that implies that there's like you know one set definition for democracy obviously like we're still working that out um but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of auspicious that, like, you know, there was Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn mania in this country, and, like, around that time. And what I noticed, like, you know, especially at the beginning with him, was that he, he really was um, saying what he thought. But also, if he didn't know, he was just saying, oh, I haven't thought about it. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: which was like, it was so, that was so refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, even, even unrecorded theme, um, you know, the previous album, which you of course played um, a great guitar solo on. Uh, I still love that. Um, I hope you do as well. <laughs> 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 um, like there was, there was, you know, there's quite a lot of improvisation on that album. And um, there's, there's also, I suppose, like the other direction, there's a lot of specifics as well. And, you yeah. know, there's some particular, um, particularly like quartal um, uh, voicings, like, like quartal harmonies as well, that I was, um, like, not just, um, not just horizontal, um, sorry, not just vertical Um mm-hmm. Yeah. horizontal as well like in terms of how to use fourths and because that was like a, a particular thing that I wanted to um you know see about and find out about and try um obviously that had to be you know quite rigid you know with certain parts and I'm talking mainly about like what I call the horns which is you know the, the flute and the trombone and the um alto sax you know mm-hmm. um, and And also I think there's a few, there's a few, um, uh, interjections of violin, which also kind of fit into that horn like Mm -hmm. texture. Mm -hmm. So like, I suppose with that as like a, a starting point, um, you know, for, for how to progress with the other plays, um, like knowing that I could do that, that kind of pastoral sound, you know, with this kind of, you know, slightly I don't know. Like I just love chords. Um, nice. <laughs> we can describe those in many ways. Obviously, um, the kinds of kinds of music that it might remind us of. But um, yeah, you know, there's there's an ambiguity within those within those chords. But what I what I realised um, was that I wanted to explore like ambiguity and um, and like essentially democracy in a different way and that was giving more to the players and so Mm -hmm. I mean this is kind of continuing what I was saying about Westbrook which is you know um, I mean his his overwhelming um, you know uh, uh, figurehead if you like Mm -hmm. is Duke Ellington you know and when you listen to like all of that early Duke stuff like the players have been given a B flat seven and they're playing what they want to play on that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and, but simultaneously, you know, like like collective improvisation kind of thing. And I, and so like, that's there in Westbrook's work, but, you know, not necessarily as, as um, obvious as that. Um, And I suppose, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Like with the other place was in the same way that the words (coughs) were, as little about my opinion and my like essence as it were Mm -hmm. as possible um you know i suppose i I was also um going to a similar place trying to go to similar place with the actual arrangements themselves now obviously when you're making a record um you know things need uh treating and setting in a in a particular way um Mm -hmm. you know different to the to the live experience but you know It's The album wouldn't be what it is, um, you know, without the um, process that we worked through, which essentially was me, again, like, returning to how I used to write when I had a four-piece band, which was, like, I'm not going to tell you what bass part to play, you know, like, these are the chords, like, find something that works with it, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, that's that was quite a letting go to do that. You know, when I've spent years, like not just like training in how to write parts so that they function you know in the best possible way but also playing bass parts myself you know to like just give that away that was i suppose in a way that's what i needed in order to do that album that's kind of part of what i wanted to explore was that feeling of letting go and so you know it's 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 wonderful that the that the album took the, the course that it did, which was, you know, the the live show first of all for like a year and a half. Um and then it being like, you know, in in Lee's um you know ownership as it were, like in his fold, um for for Lee to kind of continue, you know, his like new role in the band um of being, you know, a, a a, mu- a musician, you know, on stage with us, you know, with soundscapes and, and beats and keyboard parts and and thermos and, <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts, you know, Boron as well, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, like seeing where he went with that, for me, that was another, another, it was like a continuation of this, like very jazz kind of thing of like, well, I've told, I've told you what the chord sequence is. That's that's all I'm giving you, kind of thing. And Lee loves to work like that as well. You know, when he produces other people, and you know, he he's kind of quite specific about how much or how little he tells people, because he he also likes to give people freedom. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that was a it was a joy to to be able to give that to Lee and see what he did with it you know over quite a long period of time um but like the i mean you've heard it (laughs) (laughs) i've been i've been in tears ever since
1: (laughs) it's it's sort of like in a way it's the ideal situation if you can be the uh you as one can be the starting point somehow of a piece of art but you you can just, for lack of a better term, outsource uh, Mm. parts of the process to people who you know will add to the complexity. So in a way, like I'm being reminded of what you said about Hetfield, right? Like, you know, like this stuff, how would it be possible to play this even, right? It is because each individual kind of like uh, maybe puts, i don't know 95% of themselves in it and at the end you get something that is much bigger than the sum of its parts and mm-hmm. and uh, i guess band leaders who who have that gift you know you, you if you you know if you can do that you get the, that's the best those are the best bands like yeah. right and and I don't know, you know, I'm not a bass player, but I write bass parts. But I know, like, if a bass player would write a bass part, it's probably better than mine. That's sort of like my, and well, not better in a sense of like judgment, but you know, it's. Well, I haven't asked you about playing bass. Like, like, when did the bass come into your life? The bass guitar. A
2: yeah, good question, actually. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, like. In the indie band, I wasn't the bass player. Like someone had that as a role, um, which didn't stop me, you know, fiddling about with it. And I mean, you know, these instruments are always around. But I suppose, yeah, it was it was mainly for recording that I would that I would use it. There's so, oh yes, yeah, so the track that I almost told you about earlier, which was um, the second um, track that we properly. Well, actually, I suppose the only track that was properly released um, with Quadesh was um a track called Il- Ilmarinen's Fruitless Wooing, which was on um, this amazing three CD um, album put together by Colossus Magazine um, and Musea Records mm-hmm. in 2000. I'm going to say one, maybe? Could have mm-hmm. been two. Um, which again was part of my, um, university like finals as well. Like I use that piece as part of my composition work. Um, yeah, it's interesting because like essentially that version of the band is me playing everything and the drummer Lewis Davies, who is still one of the best drummers I've ever worked with. Um, and I just wrote a whole load of time signatures for him and he'd never heard the piece. <laughs> we just spent a day, you know, getting it down. Absolutely incredible. And it's, it's an extremely complex track. Like, to be honest, I'm not sure I would write something like it now because maybe it's more complex than I'm interested in listening to.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like an 11 and a half minutes, you know, we were given this brief of like, you know, it's got to have, original 70s authentic sounds and Fender Rhodes and all of that hired a proper Fender Rhodes got so inspired by it, you know cool. but, and thinking about it that was like probably the first time that I'd played bass on a on a recording um that had you know gone on to be listened by people um, and I don't really think I mean back to what I was saying before about what, what am I <laughs> what you know what what kind of is am I when it comes to music instrumentally um I think it's more that I was playing a bass line that I'd written on the piano on a bass guitar like on a guitar that was low enough that you could hear it like I wasn't thinking of it like it's I don't know I'm I suppose because you get used to hearing things in a certain way from things that you like it's like well I know how to play bass guitar because I've heard somebody else playing a bass guitar, you know? So when it comes to like style and expression and swoops or whatever, it's like, well, obviously if I get a chance, then I'm going to do that. And, but, you know, it, in a way, it sort of reminds me of what I've heard about. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with um, the kind of the other, but like various fringes of the so-called Canterbury scene, but um, Egg, mm-hmm. um, Mont Campbell, um when he played bass with them, like he was an astonishing um, and it is an astonishing composer. And he went on to do some all sorts of incredible, um, you know, I suppose what would be called world music in the 80s and beyond. And um, but when he's, he was in the band, like I mean, the rest of the band said as well, like he doesn't really seem to be interested in playing the bass. He's got rubbish bass. His amp sounds terrible. But like, he can manage these stupendously complex lines, <laughs> he doesn't really care about his sound very much. And it's like, in a way, I, I feel a bit like that. It's like, I I never spent time getting a good bass sound. I, I mean, I hold my hand up and say that, like, in on a recording, I might, like, if there's an MPEG or something, I might go, oh, yeah, you know, and... And, and I'll know how I want it in the mix, or you know, I'll know where we need a bit of buzz or I'll know where we need a bit of, you know, like chorus or whatever. But I've never, I've never, I've never been a, like an obs- like a techie obsessed kind of like. Um, I'm not. I'm not so much. It's interesting, you know. Like I say, I, as I was, I was saying, you know, like I'm really into chords and everything, and and te- like texture wise, I'm. I'm pretty, like, um, what's the word, you know, uh, perfectionist um, about recording and, you know, about anything that I might do nowadays on a screen, you know. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, But when it comes to, like, live sounds, I do find that I, I want to, you know, like with the Westbrook band, I want to hear myself on the bass. I want my tone to be just there. I want to have it like pointing in the right direction and once those things are right I want everything else to just be about me and the strings and the instrument and beyond. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not yeah, I haven't spent a lot of my life thinking about to be honest, I've never I've never had the money to to be collecting <laughs> instruments. <laughs> you know maybe if i if i did i'd i'd be unstoppable and i'd get a really nasty habit <laughs> you
1: know you're you're one of those people where i would say you 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 are music and i hope that's a compliment
2: oh it is it is a compliment
1: yeah. absolutely <laughs> 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 so so <laughs> fantastic! I, I I hope that I I do get to uh, hear you play the bass live once like, mm-hmm. in my lifetime. I really want to have that experience of oh. <laughs> of you playing in front of me <laughs> with a you know the bass guitar, because I I find the bass guitar is such a um, maybe for my like from my experience maybe like the the most. The instrument that is most personalized by the player somehow.
2: Okay. Oh, so that kind of connects to what I'm saying, doesn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very yeah. much so. It's. It really. It really. The because there's there's uh, sort of like a, a, a smaller space maybe that you that you can live your role in, your function in as a bass player, mm-hmm. right? So there's the, that. Also means that. There's more, some somewhat more resolution in, in, in the expression or in the choices you make as a player, and and also, I'm uh, n- about the sound, so not the sound that's coming from the amp or so, but the sound of how you dig in. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a very it's a very subtle thing, but very um, uh, has a huge impact on the on what the music feels like, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, I suppose probably like. One of my biggest influences on bass would be Richard Sinclair,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that's that's to do with the way he, it really feels like he's singing with his fingers. Um, mm-hmm. as a, in, in a way, it's I feel like he's he's almost like the sort of Alan Holdsworth of the bass. <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of the the, the um, that legato and that kind of yes. um, the, the way everything's aligned. Everything's aligned
1: you know do you do you, uh love alan Holdsworth's music
2: i do actually yeah. yeah i mean i suppose i'm particularly interested in his early music and i and i do like um i do like the first album you ever played on the Bottoms wrench i think that's just wow mm-hmm. that is unbelievable um because you've got two guitars um playing like around each other and there's times when it sounds like a sounds like an electric piano, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's polychordal and it's, it's, it's something else, you know, and they're like the very first track there. um, They sort of go into like a rhythm and blues kind of thing. And then you realize, oh, they were just making fun of it, you know, and then it goes off (laughs) into an incredible like alleyway, but it's still somehow related to like Mm
0: -hmm.
2: cream and, and Mm -hmm. I don't know, Alexis corner and all of that, like sixties uh, rhythm and blues kind of stuff, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um yeah, I sup- I suppose I do mainly know his like sort of canterbury related releases, you know, like with UK and um I suppose yeah like the gong album that he plays on. on yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love I love I love his um I love his sound and his tone and his chords. Um and obviously like there's a lot that I've heard like some of the early Steve Vai on, on Zappa um, recordings, and that, that you can definitely feel Holdsworth in there as well, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that Alan's playing was, was just so, or his, well, his playing, you know, people always talk about his playing, but I think really it's more about his composition, you know, his sense of composition that then showed in his writing and his, in his improvisations. Um, Is just was just so um, harmonically different, mm. and and uh, sometimes I have to say, like really, it's challenge challenging to me um, um, because he sort of he sort of found this way to sit kind of like in between between the chairs somehow. That's what it sounds like to me. Like yeah, sometimes, yeah. and and I love that. And in a little, and when you were talking about the quartal harmony, it's a little bit like that. You like like so oh, almost almost everything sounds suspended, you know. And
2: yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's it's but fascinating.
2: I'm thinking of that um, that first Bruford album. Actually, um, there's a track um, on there. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. It's the one with um, with Annette Peacock on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's like it's it's so heroic. I mean, there's there's kind of there's a sense in which when you hear it, it almost it almost borders on like cheesy. Um, <laughs> but he but he somehow manages to like Coltrane through that cheese. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: <laughs> you, you see, like. Um- for me, the entry point into into music was Mike Oldfield, you know, and right, and right. and it's if you if you kind of look at that at the history of of uh, British rock music, progressive music, whatever you want want to which words you want to use of the late '60s and uh, early '70s. Uh, it's unbelievable like the the concentration of talent. It's it is unbelievable. Well, when you, you think about like Robert Wyatt, Kevin Ayers, Mike Oldfield, David Bedford, like in one band.
2: Exactly. Uh, Lord I Lord was cocktail. just Exactly. And, I mean, I was just the other day listening to um Whatever She Brings We Sing. Yeah. Um, Which was the first Kevin Ayers album I ever heard when I was like nine. My mum played it to me.
0: Yeah,
2: and and the title track, Michael feels solo on there. I think I think he was like eighteen or seventeen or something when he played that solo. Does that sound right? Yeah, no, he was was sixteen or
1: seventeen. Yeah.
2: It. I mean, I. I remember when I kind of came back to that when I was when I was seventeen. Actually, Mm
0: -hmm. I learned
2: it and it blew my mind. Like I learned to play it and it was Mm -hmm. just that I mean again the legato is just stunning it's stunning work and it's like you know you can you can hear you can hear the kind of pre-tubular bell sort of where he's going like in his in his musical imagination mm-hmm. with it um and but he's but you know he's also bringing that like very folky sort of diatonic world to um, Kevin's kind of more sort of you know down home kind of blues, um, which is a beautiful mix. Yes. And I, I just I think that in fact I was so upset when Uncut magazine in 1998 or something they included that track on their sampler and they faded out because. So <laughs> and I wrote them a letter. I was like, I'm not one of these people who writes the letters, but I'm writing a letter to say, how dare you? <laughs>
1: So, so, so there's this, this record. Uh, uh, what was it called? June first, seventy four, or something. Yeah. That live record. Yeah. That had uh, an enormous influence on me. That album. Know, and
2: uh, oh, well, that's got everyone on. I mean, that's like it's such a mix, isn't it? It's got. Nico, yeah, it's
1: uh, Nico, John Cale, yeah. uh, Kevin Ayers, Brian Eno, and yeah. and. Uh, it, it it actually also has a Mike Oldfield solo uh, on one of Kevin's tracks there. And yeah. Yeah. and for me, and it's it's really not about the play, you know, that it's also playing that, but it's sort of like giving you this example of like, there's this one person who starts playing in the middle of the song, and rather than the note embedding itself into the song, yeah. The song embeds itself around the note of the player. The song becomes sort of like a sphere around the note that the player plays. Mm-hmm. I get goosebumps when I talk about this because yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just I just love that when when uh, when a, when a musician kind of like takes the lead in that sense. So you take all the responsibility and you sort of like literally in that moment you carry all the weight of the world on your shoulders somehow mm-hmm. and that becomes the expression and so so everything else just simply becomes sort of like sub subordinates yes yes. to, to well, that moment of
2: perfect for kevin's music as well because you know a lot of his a lot of his songs are um you know they're in verse form so the chords yes. repeat themselves you know yeah yeah um, and uh, so it's it's a ma- magical pairing, really, you know, because Kevin has such a wry way of expressing himself, you know, lyrically. Um, and then to have these, like, golden moments shining through. And, and I also think that, um, you know, Ollie Halsall and Steve Hillage and Lil- Lowell Coxhill were all, like, perfect players for Kevin, really. Yes, you know? yes. Having this, having this kind of, like... Ah, oh, this kind of quirky voice, really, to come and come in and say something quite, quite yeah. um, affecting, you know.
1: And um, so, for me, maybe like the most enigmatic of those people uh, mm-hmm. to this day is Robert Wyatt. Um, like, he, I, I really, I never got to experience him playing the drums live. I have no idea about what people say about it right? And then after his accident, he creates one of the most beautiful records ever, Rock Bottom, right? Which is just the most magical thing <laughs> for me. I don't know. I don't know if you if you like uh, his music at all. I guess you do, right? I absolutely.
0: Adore <laughs> and I adore him. I adore him. Yeah. You know, so
1: so it's and you know like the the point really um it's it's that cultural heritage, that music coming from from England, right like that is it's all English right yeah. um, is there and this is you know again, so is there a, is there a music nowadays? And well, obviously, not talking about you here, right? Like, is there more music uh, out there that sort of is an extension of what happened there? Like, because, like, I I, I don't know anything about the, the the English music scene at the moment, so I I wouldn't wouldn't be able to say. Okay, there's there are these bands that are sort of like. In that tradition, and but I don't even want to talk about tradition because um back in the in the 70s or sixties there was no tradition for that music either. So yeah. So is there is there anything that you would say it's kind of a kind of a continuation uh, what part of but what part of that music yeah, is still alive?
2: I suppose so do you mean music that is that is related that we could sort of G- genome map to yeah to be, yeah yeah to be similar. yeah um, i suppose i suppose really i'm not sure if there's anything that's because because all music's made within a you know within a cultural context and i suppose you know because the context has changed since then it's kind of like when i think of people who Exist in similar sound worlds, you know, like even like Tortoise and Pavement,
1: mm-hmm. and like
2: those kinds of bands, and also, I mean, I know not English necessarily, but um, Stereo Lab, you know, yeah. Yeah. like they can't help but be kind of postmodern, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. or post postmodern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, su- I suppose, like what I, what I, what I would require from somebody who, like, was comparable in any way, was, I suppose, somebody who was able to, like, be as um, vulnerable and authentic, um, which are kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really be anything else but vague buzzwords. But um, yeah. I mean, what strikes me about Robert is that he, you know, he he sings, he sings and speaks about about what what is like what he knows. You know, and so in that sort of tradition of like, I don't know if it's raconteur as such. It's more like, if, I mean, it's to I mean, definitely like there's something more priestly in, in Robert, I think, you know, especially songs like Last Will and Testament, you know, that's a, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a real kind of, well, it's a kind of Zen, as a Zen anthem, isn't it? You know, I mean, people in that kind of tradition, I can only really think of like, I don't know, Ian Jury. Um, mm-hmm. ex- except Yeah, I mean, obviously, asked about today, so that's (laughs) sorry. It's not very helpful. It's not very today, is it? Um, In many ways, I don't know, and in many ways, I, you know, there is music from this century that I'm drawn to, um, but I also, I also think that, in a in a way, I'm a special case. (laughs) <laughs> because I've always loved music from be- that was around from before I was born.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're similar as well, but like, I I have always wondered what, what that's about for me, like whether, whether it is a kind of nostalgia or, you know, like, you know when I was growing up and I was like I am the firstborn. you know of my siblings and my parents had this incredible record collection and like basically everything they had kind of led me somewhere else that was interesting and on my mum's side it was Kevin Ayres which led me to all the Canterbury scene and like getting into jazz generally and then on my dad's side it was Steve Harley and it was um I suppose music that's kind of um oh, how would you? What would the thread be from there? I, I suppose that did kind of take me towards towards folk in a way that Kevin didn't, um, and but also, you know, I suppose it helped me to appreciate, you know, Bowie and uh, and and lo- you know, loads of other loads of other bands from around from around that time mainly. But that's the point: is like, you know, in the nineties, I I wanted to be in the sixties, I wanted to be in the seventies, so. <laughs> So if you ask me about now, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for, you know, being into people who are around nowadays. Um, But having said that, you know, there is, there is something about that particular um, period, isn't there? Um, And I mean, there's many things that you can, you can pin that down to and like, one at one just like plucked out of the air is um you know just just recording just a recording style you know like if you put a if you put two drum mics in front of robert in 1968 like it doesn't matter that there's only two like you'll hear him like whacking them um whereas if i think even if you heard robert like if he was able to play like he did then now Mm-hmm. And it was recorded like I don't know. Pick a pick a pick an album. Um, if it was recorded really well by today's standards, I don't know if it would have the same yeah. like emotional, yeah. emotional kind of resonance for me. Yes, actually.
0: yes.
2: Um, and so that's that's interesting because I remember when I was at university, like a few people said, "Oh, what is this music? You listen to like it sounds interesting, but." the actual quality of it is it's not good enough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, that's part of it. Like that's part of the charm. Obviously if you were there at that time, you weren't hearing that quality. Um, But that, you know, that, that doesn't matter, you know, and I would have loved to have been at one of those those shows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that, that quality makes certain, um, Musical devices possible, right? Like there are certain things you can only do if the drums sound like one instrument and not like mm-hmm. individual
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: things, right? Stuff like that, yeah, yeah. I you mean, know,
2: symbol, like the- like it's not symbol heavy, or if it is symbol heavy, it's like lower, lower mids, you know, or, or yeah. upper, perhaps, but you know, it's not like it's not like tingly, tingly. Yeah. Um, but that's great because it means the flute has more more space, you know, like.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean this, this I know that, that there is no and uh, there was no proper a- answer to the question I was asking about like bands nowadays, but you know, like sometimes I I I I, I tr- try to ask myself these questions because maybe in 20 years when we look back, we will have an answer, right? And then having like thought about that this day and time, we we can kind of, kind of like go back and compare. So is was uh, was my sense right? Uh, did I actually know what was going on, or you know, I, it's yeah. sort of like I've I've always been into um, into biographies of artists, also because like for example, if I like one album by an artist, I usually I stay interested in whatever that person is putting out throughout. Their lives, right? Because I find I find that uh, maybe maybe I w- I'm I'm kind of like actively looking for help out there to see, okay, what does this person do uh, that is 20 years older than me, right? What happened between uh, you know 45 and 55 years of age, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's it's always been interesting to me. <laughs>
2: that's yeah I suppose I suppose I have I have wondered that as well you know I mean especially especially with Mike Westbrook because like you know I've done so much work with them over the last 10 years um Mike and Kate and so yeah I do I do often kind of think okay so you know what was what was Mike or Kate doing when they were my age and um (laughs) and then you know then you realise and it's like wow (laughs) that's incredible um and like yeah I suppose like I am I am very slow what I do I'm very slow and and Mike has Mike particularly um you know with with writing music but also Kate with with writing lyrics you know um they are extremely prolific they're so prolific um Mm. They just always, always creating, um, mm. and I don't feel like that. I I feel I'm I'm slow, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more, I'm more like Robert in that respect. <laughs> 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 he says he's a real minimalist because he really doesn't do very much minimalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I do. You know, it's important to be in the moment and play stuff, but when it comes to like making a record um you know i do like to you know take my time and consider consider things and um in in a way that was like a backdrop to to the other place just just in the whole symbolic act of delivering a pint of milk at parliament you know because um yeah hang on where does this go back I'm trying to think where it goes back to it probably goes back to like my involvement with Dark Mountain um which is uh I suppose an artistic and literary movement which was co-founded by Dougal Heim about 11 years ago something like that 11-12 years ago um and you know essentially it's 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 uh it's a conversation about um, like finding the hope beyond hope when it comes to like dealing with the mess that we're in um, mm-hmm. like for, in an ecological um, way mm-hmm. um, and many other ways um, and so like I suppose one of the possible answers to um, to not to how to solve things because like I, I don't think we're going to get anywhere by trying to solve things in a linear fashion, but like ways of being or things to try out, you know, cause I think, I think all of these, um, all of these like recipes for how we're going to solve things are not particularly helpful. I'm more interested in kind of getting into the depths of like the human condition and and you know like where do we need to be spiritually in order to grow through this this difficult time for for humanity on the earth mm-hmm. um and so like in a nutshell i was trying to see what would happen if i did something very slowly um and like originally the tour from devon to westminster was uh, going to be all done on a milk float mm-hmm. um and yeah anyone who's watching who doesn't know what a milk float is um it's an electric vehicle used to deliver milk and you don't really see them in England very much anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like I was interested in like tapping into something something a bit older and something which maybe could be like a version of I don't know like patriotism or or like a sort of nostalgic memory of what we used to experience you know in england um and so like making our way very slowly across the country was you know an antidote to our whole way of being nowadays which is to do things as quickly as possible and what i always wonder is like what's what do you miss when you do things quickly like if you get a plane somewhere what do you miss if i'd gone by train what would i have seen you know where mm-hmm. would i've gone in my head like where would i've i would have arrived like slowly and i would have you know gone on more of a quest perhaps um mm-hmm. so so yeah there's, there's definitely like a as kind of a, a mythic um underpinning um to the other place like in terms of like the um i don't know like maybe even like a canterbury pilgrimage or um you know like that kind of minstrel the the busking the busking you know um minstrelsy kind of tour you know um which was which was part of what what i wanted to tap into um and um and so yeah it made sense that the album took you know as long as it did and uh I'm just looking forward to the next one really
1: <laughs> you, you're, you're absolutely right that you know it is very much uh, uh anachronistic if you take your time to do something nowadays and i have to i have to admit that i've been a, a victim of that um mm. uh, and i can't i can't even remember when i did you know the time when I did anything, and I, I I was not sort of like even like designing the process to to be something that I could carry through in a specific time frame, and um, I kind of hate that. Like you remind me of that. It, it's good. It's a good thing. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I guess it is. It is part of of becoming what in in our world is called a professional, right? So where you are expected to and then you start expecting yourself, mm. well I did, to make a living um, yeah. from being an artist. And uh, it's I can I can see now it's sort of like counterproductive. You know, I, I don't want to say that I regret anything I've done. I, I, I think that wouldn't be healthy <laughs> to say that. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, and you see like, like, um, I think the result kind of like speaks for itself, like the complexity, the beauty of your album, the, uh, um, the absolute, um, and obviously like, like, you know, Lee, you know, with his this, abs- like this, Obsession comes back. The word obsession comes back when I think about Lee, right? And 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 you know, it's it's incredible if pieces of art actually have all that energy, all that creative energy, all that tension. You can also say the tension and release kind of like built into it that mm-hmm. comes that comes from a slow process. Yes. And um, yeah. And it's it's sort of really hard to do that when you're when you're in a hurry. That's know? right. That's
2: right. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't kind of in, also enjoy the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in the um, starting from the first lockdown, um, Viv, the flute player, Viv Goodwin Dark, um, and she sings and and plays piano and cello as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: like we're living in the same house here. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, his husband Tim uh, and uh, I've been here since September but already like from last May we sort of started to um, kind of get the wheels in motion to um, to be uh, recording a new track every seven weeks but also um, making videos to go with them mm-hmm. which was also due to be like within that time. Um and so yeah, we've done we've done um we've done five. Um mm-hmm. and that was that was a whole different approach. It felt it felt um it felt very freeing actually. It felt it felt like um in a way, you know, like what I was saying about being in the indie band when I was 16 or whatever. Part of me has, al- has always wanted to get back to how immediate things were then
0: mm-hmm, yeah, um, yeah
2: this sort of this felt like you know obviously with lockdowns and stuff it was a good time to to be able to just like do stuff and not have any distractions and um
1: yeah i heard know. i think I, I heard a couple of those pieces or saw a couple of the videos you produced with with and i thought they were they worked really well like um, I really do. Like they had, as you say, they had like the immediacy, but the intricacy was there as well. So it was um, very, um, say, let's maybe, let's just a, a less shiny version, in a way, of what you do, yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean. You know, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I know. Um, But it, it was really, I really enjoyed it very much. yeah
2: it's good good to explore these you know these um you know now now it's sort of nowadays it feels less distinct like the difference between you know a live performance and a recording you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, like it feels like there's lots of integers in between that you know like you could do a live stream of a gig Mm -hmm. um but you, but you'd still be thinking about production values, uh, hopefully, and you know, making sure that the that the um, that the visuals and the sound were like top notch, you know. But equally, it could be very, very raw. Um, and like I have to say, that kind of interests me less um, to do something like that raw. Um, but yeah, probably probably in a lot li- in a, in a sort of live in front of people you know um, mm. like in what do you call it in real life in real life <laughs> um, yeah now, we, now I mean, we
1: have to specify that
2: you know we do we do don't we well exactly i mean that says it all doesn't it <laughs> um you know i'm i'm keen i am keen to get into that world again but i think i've also enjoyed like exploring the realms between mm. as well mm. and uh you know like the um the one that we did in uh was it march i think the no february it was um the wolf um that was like a collaboration with not just other musicians but also um some circus performers as well
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: and so so in a way it's like you know i feel like that is continuing this this thread of like wanting to collaborate with people and and kind of um i feel that i'm able to fully realize my vision if if other people are part of that as well Um Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and yeah i'm not i'm not so interested in you know recording an album and all the parts sound like me
1: (laughs) and for me it's it's actually the other way around i still i still want to explore just recording a whole album on my own
2: Are you there, Marcus?
1: Yes, I'm. I'm you didn't here.
2: Like, <laughs> Money <manage> to edit.
1: <laughs> no, no. I just, I just stopped. I stopped the recording. <laughs> it worked. Oh, okay. and then I resumed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: so you, you were just saying for me. You said for me. It's... Yeah.
1: You know, I, I, I just wanted to sh- share this because, like, why not? Um, like in the past, um, this year I've been sort of paralyzed musically. I have no. I mean, I know that there are practical reasons why it's why it's become very difficult. Like, we have a young young daughter, and yeah,
2: um, how old is she now?
1: She's 20, uh, 20 months.
2: Oh, wow. oh
1: yeah. wow! Yeah. So and and you know, daycares were closed for the last uh, six months, and I was sort of like, kind of like I was looking after, her, which was something I was sort of dreaming about before i had to do it and it um it was just uh, a pretty hard process for me to kind of let go of the idea that i could do anything say for myself while i was watching her and i so i learned the hard way that that was impossible and somehow what it has left now is sort of like some uncertainty about how i will find my way back into into my work let's say yeah.
0: yeah
1: so and that's why like the um the musical ideas that i have at the moment are on this uh con- you know conceptual level and this is where i was thinking like quite opposite to what you were saying i would be very interested in being in a studio my on my own just with an engineer and yeah. finally finally like make an album that's all me not because i want it to be about me but because I'm interested in, in 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 getting my hands on instruments on more than just like the touch guitar or or the yeah. piano or like I would would like to just try things out and go 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 nuts sort of like with.
2: Okay. in yeah. a way, it's like you haven't had the experimental lockdown phase yet.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Billy, this has been a wonderful conversation, and has uh, been just and we, time
0: absolutely flew as well. um,
1: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I, I I think like these. I usually have these two-hour slots to do this because yes. I find that is like we for most people like most most people kind of like can watch three minutes anyway of this no, kind no, of no.
2: <laughs> you can't but, well done.
1: <laughs> um, Thank you so much. It was wonderful. And I wish you all the best. And um, obviously I will kind of like put links to uh, your website and uh, all your albums that we talked about in the in the description of all and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, this is not this is not about promotion. And I hope that um, it was wonderful for me to get to know you better and um, Let's like meet, it. meet again soon in uh, yeah. in, De- in Devon or in London or, um, I don't know, somewhere else. Somewhere else. <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> in, the, in the middle, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be uh, Belgium, maybe, somewhere in Belgium.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Marcus. You're Take welcome.
1: Care. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye for now. Bye. Bye, <laughs>